1: And organizations are developing robust data science capabilities. You've probably taken note of this. And they're adding the role of data scientists to the ranks. As the importance of data science increases in organizational strategy analysis and operations, it is also impacting our work as product managers, leaders, and innovators. And product managers are being asked to work with data scientists. Now, we're still kind of at the forefront of this and figuring out how product management and data science intersect is becoming a kind of growing topic. To explore this topic, we are joined with two past guests who have been working at this intersection. Back in episode 117, Felicia Anderson shared how she was building a product management council at Pitney Bowes. And in episode 055, Rich Marinoff shared how product managers can navigate organizational challenges. For the past year, they've been working together and helping product managers work with data scientists. If this topic isn't impacting your product work yet, it will in the future, and this is information that you will need. And remember, if you want to go revisit a key concept, we take the notes for you. You'll find those notes at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 258. That's also a great way to introduce others to this podcast and also help others find this podcast. It would be wonderful if you would take a couple minutes, go to iTunes, and leave a review. That really helps this rank better and helps other product managers find it. Now, let's listen to the insights from Felicia and Rich. Well, welcome back, you two. This is really exciting. Felicia and Rich, you are joining the podcast once again. You both have been guests. And today, we're talking about the same topic that you have both been working on, this notion of data science. We'll get into that in just a moment. First, Felicia, you're kind of in the stage of a transition. What's going on?
0: Yeah, since last we talked, Chad, uh, I've recently joined Epic, a legal services technology-enabled firm, as VP of product.
1: Hmm. Okay, and what are you going to be doing for them?
0: I'm going to be working with our data science teams to figure out how do we use data science to improve our products and deliver more client value, so very much aligned with other things we're going to be talking about today.
1: Absolutely, which probably has a little bit to do with why we're actually talking. So, and you have some background in this, which... Rich, you're connected to that. So how did you get connected to Felicia and working on the same topic of how data science kind of impacts product management?
2: So I've had the, the great good fortune to work with Felicia at Pitney Bowes for several years on a variety of things around product management training and product marketing, a bunch of other topics. And this had come up as something specifically that her teams and the data science teams really wanted to explore. So they asked me to lean in a little bit, provide some training. And the, the public version of that is now in a blog post on my site that uh, Felicia and I have both worked through a few times to make sure it's it's uh, acceptable for the full public.
1: Great. And we'll probably catch some of those topics as well. And I'll make sure people in the show notes can get to the original post that you put together there too. And Felicia and I, we, we got connected because of your work there at BP. Brittany, I'm going to mess this up. Pitney Bowes. Pitney Bowes. For some reason, I had the engine maker in my head all of a sudden. So, you never know where my mind's going to go during these times, guys. Because you were responsible for the, the all the product managers, kind of their care and feeding this council, which I thought was such a great effort to be doing for product managers and the leading. Uh, so, lots of good experience there. Maybe both have good examples you can share from various work about. How does the data science play these days into product management? What have you seen? Why? Why even care about this intersection? And Felicia, if you want to start,
0: sure. Well, there are many, many use cases we had at Pitney Bowes. I'll talk about one part of the business, commerce services, and where we uh, could and, and did use it there. The commerce services business is a big piece of that. Is fulfillment, delivery, returns. For retail clients. And that means it's moving parcels across the country for retail clients. And it was a very rich um, set of use cases where you'd like ideally as a consumer to know when is my parcel going to get to my front porch? Hmm. And therefore a logistics carrier or a Pitney Bose would like to predict where are the parcels throughout the network. And you'd like to say, well, which of these parcels is at risk of being delayed, for instance? This is a place where data science can really help with this very complex problem, deliver that customer need of when a better prediction of when that parcel is going to be at my doorstep. There's another case in the same kind of area, if you want me to give you one more. Yeah, please. So imagine um, part of that business is taking parcels from inbound from international um, places, let's say parcels coming in from China or the UK or other countries. When they get into the U.S., they have to clear U.S. customs. U.S. customs is well beyond what the retailer can control or what a vendor like Pitney Bowes can control. And it's a very bursty, somewhat unpredictable process. Mm-hmm. But a the company processing those parcels on the on the flip side of customs would really like to have a good forecast of when are these volume, when are these parcels going to hit my dock for processing? So this isn't at a parcel by parcel level, but a volume level so that they can optimize staffing and other resources to process that as quickly as they can. Again, with the goal of delivering the parcel as quickly as possible and predictably as possible to the end consumer. So they're just two kind of Um, pieces of the puzzle. But in that Mm -hmm. kind of environment, there were just so many different applications of data science.
1: So it sounds like a key thing there is collecting data, obviously, to help us understand what's going on with shipments and where things are, but then doing whatever the form is of, of data science, doing some analysis to help us predict when we might have problems, what are the risks involved in packages actually showing up when we think they're going to show up, and then when are these larger volumes hitting so you can have people alerted and ready for that. So the product part of this has to be pulling the data, collecting the data, and then you're doing something to analyze that and then put that back into the product to communicate information to people. Is that right?
0: Correct. Product can be customer-facing. In some places, that information was using used in customer-facing applications, but also there's a lot of internal use of that information. Our ops managers um, and other folks using that data to optimize the business processes internally. So we found use cases on, on both sides. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Uh, Rich, you were a part of this. And also I know you've been doing other things too. You have examples you want to add?
2: I, I do. And I think that the, one of the trends we've been seeing is that we used to use data analytics to give ourselves internal insights that we then hard coded into our applications. Mm-hmm. So most of my work is with folks who build software as their primary revenue source. Certainly clients and partners of mine like Pitney Bowes where they're using it internally as well. But we've really seen, I think, moving to the fore, machine learning and natural language processing and other kinds of high-end AI or data analytics where we're now building it into the products themselves. So people shipping software that end consumers are going to see that are going to make judgments or recommendations that really are visible to the rest of the world. The challenge, of course, here is that these kinds of data analytics are never 100% perfect. They're better, so you've got to think really hard about what all the edge cases and problems are if we happen to make a bad recommendation or the data is missing or something else rather surprising happens. So I see product managers having to struggle with less certainty than we did in the days when everything was hard-coded, and every time you ran it, you got exactly the same answer.
1: Now things might be changing a little bit with the advent of AI and what you talked about there, uh, machine learning, natural learning, and the like. The edge case is interesting to consider, right? The, the, the It reminds me of statistics and the type one, type two error thing, right? And the uh, error of thinking something is so when it's not, uh, or vice versa.
2: In, in fact, I think of it just that way, which is as product managers, we, we want to think about the difference between making you know type 1 and type 2 errors if we tell somebody a thing's going to happen and it's not what what are the bad outcomes if we tell somebody it's not going to happen and it does uh-huh. what are the bad outcomes and for a lot of different applications you want to be tilting in one direction or the other so maybe your errors collect on the side with less less damage or less problems
1: uh-huh. Good. And Rich, I understand uh, you're doing work for customers and you may not be able to talk about specifics, but I wonder if you have an example of a product that has been augmented with this output, right? Where it it is receiving, you know, maybe it's doing some AI processing itself to use predictive kind of analysis.
2: Yeah. In fact, I'm currently, I've stepped into a San Francisco Bay Area AI firm for the last few months Hmm. as their interim head of product to help them finish up some work that's around using natural language processing to spot concepts and trends in long form text documents. So if you were reading 100 page or 300 page documents or many, many incoming memos and wanted to spot trends that weren't obvious, or maybe weren't the things that the senders were flagging for you, natural language processing is a really good way to do that, uh, especially if it's doing a good job of finding those concepts or synonyms or uh, related things in ways that humans may have trouble doing. Uh, one of the things that that we learn, I think, is that humans are much better at understanding a few small things of short length. But if you had to read 50 or 1,000 documents, you know, you as a human are just not able to retain the patterns and where they are and, and what the statistics are. So I'm seeing a lot of exciting stuff happening where we're finally taking AI, AI out of the lab. Just as a side note, I first did some coding and uh, development in AI in 1979. So not a new thing, but not at least traditionally, right, we called it AI if it didn't work, and we gave it a more specific name like machine <laughs> language, you know, natural language processing or machine learning if we think it does work.
1: If we could really explain what was going on. So you predate me a little bit, but my my, my first prior into AI was a LISP. Remember the, the, the yes. LISP programming language?
2: I, write, I wrote some Lisp school back in the day when it was new and fresh.
1: Yeah, that's right. That was the, supposed to be the language for AI. Now we're finally getting into some real things. That that capability to look at, through many documents over time and look for trends, that's just super exciting all by itself, right? As product managers, trends are really important to us and having a way to maybe get some insights that we might help us be on the leading edge. Wow, that'd be fantastic.
2: And, and I think there's both, as Felicia was suggesting for or her companies, there's both internal and a- external. So one of the interviews I did looking for use cases for this was a woman in the Bay Area who's a product manager, and she had read through 55,000 incoming trouble tickets and, and support items to try to figure out what was going on. Mm-hmm. And the opportunity to save her you know, 20 or 1,000 hours here and still get the right answer, I think she would have really appreciated. So that's the inward one as well. You know, back to our shipping example. If we could give better estimates for when packages might arrive before the consumers made their choice on their retailer's e website, then they might make different choices. They might buy more stuff if it were, were going to arrive sooner, or they might pay more or less for the right shipping options to get it, get the gift to the relative who needs it right away.
1: I'm interrupting the discussion just for a moment to tell you about a really interesting experience I had recently at a professional conference for product managers and innovators, the annual PDMA conference. Now, it was a great experience because I got to help so many people. And one form of this was several times a person that I helped in the past, they came to find me. They sought me out to introduce me to someone else that they were talking to. Someone that wanted to mentor their product managers to help them perform at a higher level. They recognize how important product development and management is to the success of their work and the organization. And they talk about this in terms of the increased pressures that they have. We all recognize this as product people. Wanting to create products that customers love. That's what everyday innovators are all about. We get that. But also products that meet revenue and profit expectations. We have to do that. And that can be delivered more quickly, decreasing time to market. That's a lot of needs to deliver on. And that's exactly what I help organizations do. And I have an excellent mentoring system for groups of product managers. It's called the Rapid Product Mastery Experience, or for short, the RPM Experience. Kind of catchy, RPM Experience. If you lead product managers or you are a product manager at a company with other product managers, the RPM Experience is how you can create a higher performing product team. And I have a quick guide that tells you how the system works and the results it provides. And you'll find that at TheEverydayInnovator.com slash RPM. It's helping other companies pull ahead of their competition and helping product managers work together better, enjoy their work more, and just be more effective. And I bet it can help you too. Check it out at TheEverydayInnovator.com slash RPM. Felicia, I'm just curious about the context of your first encounter with this. I, I know you and I talked about this idea of data science impacting product management maybe a year or so ago. I'm not sure when you first got uh, you know first, first started pursuing this. Was that just a very natural, like, you know, we, we have this problem that we're working with and we want to figure out new ways to address it. Did you already have data scientists on board in the organization that were collecting data and doing something with it? Because how did this come about?
0: So I guess I'm going to answer that in a couple of ways. My foray into data science, I guess I've always been a very metric focused product manager, and then that led me down a path of analytics and dashboarding. Mm-hmm. As we got toward data science, machine learning proper, yes, the organization had data scientists. I guess you come at this a couple of different ways. Sometimes they have, you know, the business leads us into data science and they have a use case, and you tend to outsource that first implementation. In other cases, you build the data science teams and then you have to bring the product managers and the business side on board. And that's the way I saw it evolve just where I was. And I think either way can work. And we were lucky. I felt we were lucky enough to have a pretty sophisticated data science team built out first, but then you have to even these things up because to really deliver the value, you've got to pair up the business knowledge, the product management knowledge with the data science team because neither half Mm -hmm. can really make it work alone.
1: Good. And Rich, just because you're working with different companies, are you seeing data scientists more as a norm as product management teams or just starting to be discussed, or are they still more separated?
2: I'm mostly seeing them as separated, and I think it depends if your company is building data science products, if you're doing machine learning Mm -hmm. or natural language processing or something as part of your product, then that data science team is actually a core part of your engineering organization. Um, I do also see a lot of folks who are using it for internal insights. And then it tends to be a separate team where when we think we have a problem that fits what they're doing, we bring it to them. And those data scientists may also spend a lot of time looking through the company's own information to spot trends that may not have been obvious. Then they've got to figure out who the internal consumers are or who cares And often that, again, crosses back through the product managers because they're really well-connected and know what's going on. Uh So is that a good idea we can build into our product? Is that a good idea we can use for internal savings or improvement? Uh, I think it flows both ways. And just to echo what uh, Felicia said, I think when we leave the data scientists on their own in some separate department, we don't talk to them much, don't give them much insight into the company. The things they learn turn out to be not very surprising or not very valuable because they're things that they personally thought were interesting that many, many folks in the company thought were totally obvious. On the other hand, product managers and in particular non product managers think that this stuff is really easy. And so we spin up all kinds of crazy, fictional ideas about how we can apply data to our work. And we have to go back to the data scientists and get schooled a little bit on what's easy what's hard, what's possible. And they, they often deflate our sort of random product dreams mm-hmm. and bring it down to earth.
1: Yeah, and I suspect most listeners are, this is relatively new to them, right? That this idea of maybe bringing in data scientists as a capability into what we're doing with products. So this is a great time to dive into this further. And I appreciate the, you know, often, it seems like to me in the last few years, product management has become more data-driven in terms of decision-making And sometimes to the detriment of just good product management practices and thinking. And what you're talking about there, Rich, was, you know, let's bring together the two perspectives and try to have common sense and data help us.
2: And and I think even if we set aside some of the really fancy analytics, you know, what we see is that when organizations assign their KPIs or OKRs or whatever sort of arbitrarily or without good thought, and then people follow those blindly. It takes us to really uncomfortable places. I was mm-hmm. talking to somebody last week who is one of the many, many folks in customer support or customer success organizations where the word came down that the new OKR or KPI is to shorten up the phone calls and to spend less time helping customers. Right? And, <laughs> you know, that's going to save them some money in the short term, but it's a right. really bad idea And so, you know, we want to, I think, always apply business logic. We want to ask what the edge cases are. We want to take these things to extremes Mm -hmm. or see how they might be weaponized and not walk into a really bad direction just because the data is leading us somewhere.
1: That's an excellent point. There was something about this little company called Wells Fargo that thought they should grow the number of accounts for everyone that maybe that was weaponized as well. Different tangent. We won't go there. So the two of you have put together several tips on this notion of how do we make better use of data scientists as part of our product work. And like I said, I'll make sure the link is in there to the, the article, Rich, that you wrote. Let's just talk through those tips. And I'm going to read these so I don't get them wrong, and you can describe these for us. So the first one you said was provide much deeper context than traditional software projects, especially use cases and business goals. And to me, that's just like an axiom I use with engineers, right? It's like, I want my engineers to really understand why we need this. You know, what is the problem?
2: And I think, you know, in some ways it's the same, but it's a little more extreme. Okay. So particularly if I've been working with an engineering team over the long term on some set of, of products, which is, by the way, the way we should always be working with engineering teams, you should never have folks swapping in and out and mm-hmm. doing these sort of resource pools. But if I've been doing a lot of good sharing of context and we've been getting customer calls and UX research and stuff in there, my engineers tend to understand a lot about the application and who's using it. Often I see the data science teams are a little lighter on real business experience, on understanding our company's particular segment, what people do with it. They're they're coming at it, uh, naive is a strong word, but they're coming at it with a lot less context. So, I usually pencil in you know, three hours or eight hours worth of context, because I may have to paint a lot more about how our company makes money, you know, what the cost of errors in each direction are in ways that I think a a seasoned application development team may think is obvious. So it's just more of the same, you know, what are the business goals and metrics and success criteria for the business? The engineering teams almost always know this, and I find the data science teams may not.
1: Mm-hmm. That's a really good point. I appreciate you relating it to engineering because I think we, as product managers, we have that experience and that we need to go, just expect to have to go broader and deeper with data scientists yeah. so they have the right context. And, and and something that I find really valuable here,
2: of course, always with my engineering teams is to make sure we're bringing in real user validation and research. You know, we should always have designers in those interviews, bring those forward. Can we play recordings Can we show somebody trying to use the application, struggling with the interfaces? All the things that our development teams, our engineering teams know and sometimes forget, I find that the data science teams may find is surprising and fresh and new.
1: Good. Excellent. Next tip is remember that data science projects are uncertain and our judgment may be weak. Which at first brush kind of sounds like an oxymoron because that's why we're getting the data in the first place. And I don't know who would like to take this one, Felicia or Rich. Uh,
2: Rich you go I'll, ahead. Di- yeah. I'll, I'll dive in then, sure. So uh, I think most of us, at least on the product management side, have a pretty good idea of what it takes to build one more application, you know, or one major extension to our existing software. We need some new reports, we need some, you know, two-factor authentication, things that have been built a bunch of times before, you know, I, I think are relatively well understood now. Admittedly, every software team I've ever worked with underestimated it, but we have a good idea of how much they've underestimated it by. And we deal with that. When we bring forward, I think ideas for data science, often it turns out that the data is just not very predictive Hmm. that we spent a a week or a month trying to find out if we can track, you know, packages more accurately or loan default rates or where in the documents to find these concepts. And sometimes it simply doesn't play out. Hmm. And, My intuition of the data is or how predictive it's going to be, I think, is much weaker. My ability to know what's going to work is much weaker on this stuff than it would be around very traditionally built applications. Your thoughts, Felicia?
0: So I view it like this. You know, more in data science projects than in traditional projects, there's a real possibility that you do a little exploratory investigation and you wipe out. And that's a new concept for most product managers that you have you have to be very cautious about setting expectations very early because you're going to say we're going to explore this possibility and prepare your stakeholders for the possibility that we might come back in a, in, in a couple of weeks and say that one didn't work out or you know you need to recalibrate get different data take a different approach mm-hmm. and that's always been a little bit true on the, on the traditional software side, but it is a big reality in the data science world.
2: Right. And I think there's a tendency, particularly in business, internal users and business units who are pushing internal product managers and development teams to build stuff, uh, it always comes with a delivery date. And it's always optimistic, and we never actually hit those dates. But at least the assumption is that we could get it done given enough time and resources And so often I find that those uh, data science projects are somehow already promised when we have a very high sense that, you know, half the time we're going to come back and say, this doesn't work, this dog don't hunt. And then we've got, I think, much higher uh, expectations to unwind than if we start with some really clear uh, conversation around the fact that much of the stuff, maybe even most of the stuff, won't play out the way we expected it to until we've had a chance to really get our hands dirty and kick the the data away.
1: Yeah. For those of us involved in front end innovation, this sounds somewhat familiar, right? That we know we're going to do experiments; they may not lead to anything except learning, and then we you know go down a new path. It sounds like it's really heightened though in the context you're talking about that the we don't know where the data will lead us, um, and we need to make sure that's clear to everyone.
2: And that's an I think that's an unnatural thing to say to a lot of folks mm-hmm. because. They assume that computers are omniscient and always give me the answer when I want it. By the way, it turns out to be 42. And, <laughs> um, and the idea that this might not work seems somehow very surprising. Very
1: good. Was that a reference to Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy?
2: It really was, I, I, uh, I, I, for those of us old enough to remember it.
1: Yeah. Just a I check there. Okay, let's move on to another tip. Let's talk about done means operationalized, not just having insights. What do we mean by this? Go ahead, Felicia.
0: So for the data science project to really add value, the whole organization needs to know how to use it, and everything needs to uh, work to get that information where it needs to be. It's not really enough to sort of have an academic insight. You have to work all the way through the people, processes, systems, so that it delivers the business value. And this is a little new to product managers, to data scientists, and a little new to product managers that maybe your scope goes a little further in terms of who you need to work with all the way down the line to who's really going to use it and how is it going to affect uh, the customer experience.
2: I I think that's right. And, And just grabbing one of the previous examples, we might have a model someplace way back in the lab that predicts when a particular package is going to arrive or how likely it is to take a certain number of days to be shipped that's great but we're not going to move the needle until we take that information api it or stuff it into the actual end user systems if it's going to pop up on some retailer's website and say that they could get it two days sooner it's got to be automated it's got to be fresh it's got to be maintained you know what are the update cycles? do we have to rerun those models all of the things about you know re-engineering the front end of that application to present data you, you know if we don't turn those things into workable stuff, if the end users don't see it, then it's actually accomplished nothing.
1: Okay, good. we got to put it into practice. One last tip. Uh, you have some other things you talked about in the article, but one last tip I want to address here. You say, describe how accurate this application needs to be and anticipate handling wrong answers. What do you think?
2: Good. Let me take the first one, maybe with a banking example, and then throw it back to Felicia. Because I was writing here about, for instance, we might automate review and approval of consumer mortgage applications. So, you know, it takes a week or it takes a month, and we can put a bunch of really smart software behind it to instantly either accept or reject your mortgage. One of the things that we're going to see is a lot of people are going to want an explanation of how that happened and why it happened. If we turn them down for a mortgage, they, they will feel entitled to asking a lot of questions. But more importantly is any one of those models going to have some mistakes on both sides. So what's our plan for investigating when somebody complains when they didn't get a mortgage? What's our plan for reworking the system when suddenly we start approving mortgages that are being uh, defaulted too fast? Mm-hmm. I know that this isn't a hundred percent right and that people's livelihoods or their houses are riding on top of this. So, uh, you know, how do we go through all the steps of verifying the data, having human pathways so when somebody thinks we got the wrong answer, we can investigate it and fix it and maybe even go
1: back and retune the application's need. Okay. And th- that's a good example of what we mean by wrong answer in this context. That... That's right.
2: May- maybe our model incorrectly figured out that certain zip codes used to be really, you know, problematic and now those have changed or maybe even it's against the law to redline based on where somebody lives, but our model kicks something out that's no longer acceptable.
1: Good. Okay. Felicia, anything you want to add to that?
0: Sure. Yeah, I'll give a quick example on, uh, let's say you've got a model that predicts which transactions, e-commerce transactions might be fraudulent. Hmm. You obviously want to stop those orders, uh, but on the other hand, you don't want too many false positives. So typically, one way to deal with that is to flag these as suspicious hand them off to a human team that will look at those orders and make a judgment. So that's an example of wrong answers where you, in, you can complement the data science answer with a human review of a, of a portion of the results.
1: Very good. I appreciate the work that you guys have been doing on this last year, right? Diving into real... Uh, work for organizations for companies and sharing the tips for us here and writing those up in the link that will be in the show notes as well as listeners know i love innovation quotes i could ask you both for one but i, I chose to focus on felicia because she kind of told me ahead a time what it was i thought it was really good so
0: what do you have for us so this year my motto not just for data science but in, in a lot of different aspects is simple it's stay curious and I started using this quote. I, I don't know who to attribute it to. I think it's so generic. Right. You can't really attribute it to anybody. But I really started to put that up on my board, on my wall. Every time I went into a customer interview, because I wanted to open my mind to really listen to their answers. Mm-hmm. Stay curious. What? Why don't they like that about the product? Or why do they like the competitor? Or why are they asking this question? Because I found myself... Um, after I did a couple of interviews with a couple of different clients, I felt like I was just proving what I'd heard in the prior. Mm. So this stay curious really kind of opens my <coughs> mind. I always use it. I have it on my wall. I think about it every time I talk with a customer.
1: It's great that, you know, why is such a valuable question. And you mentioned there too, you know, as as we talk to customers, it's easy for a little fatigue to set in as we start hearing the same things over and over. And it's like, okay, what what is, is there another element here And staying curious is good wisdom for us. Thanks. Thank you so much for sharing that. How can listeners find out more about what you two are doing, the work that you're doing? Rich, let's start with you.
2: Sure. I've cleverly hidden all of my work for the last 18 years on my website, hmm. which if name's hard to spell, but miranow.com. So that's got posts and videos and and i try to put something out about once a month a thousand or two thousand words on some issue that is coming up in my coaching discussions or with some of my clients mm-hmm. and mostly honestly to clear it out of my head and share it out with the world so that's all free and i hope people will take whatever is useful there
1: excellent marinoff.com getting links in the show notes and felicia
0: best way to reach me is linkedin felicia anderson product management linkedin will find find me
1: and I'll put and a I'm link to, to your talk
0: pro- awesome product management with folks.
1: Excellent. Yeah. And you have great wisdom to share. And I'll put a link to your profile as for anyone that wants to connect. Good. Thank you so much for taking time to talk to the Everyday Innovators. This is a new emerging topic. Really glad we could dive into it and have both of you here and your experiences with that. Thank you. Great. Thanks so much for letting us join.
0: Thanks. It's been a lot of fun, Chad.
1: And now on to a bonus question. <coughs> so this... <clears throat> This is an emerging area, and people are probably just starting to deal with it. Where do you think this is going? I don't know if you have any early indications yet about this intersection of product management and data scientists. You know, For example, maybe the last couple of years, maybe longer than that for some companies, but we started seeing UX as being an integral part of product teams, whereas previously that was probably an afterthought and not, as, not part of a product team. What do you think is, is the future for data scientists as part of products?
0: I think, um, oh, go ahead. You want to go first, Rich? No, go ahead. I, I think almost all product managers are going to need to be data science savvy. I think it's going to, it's, it's setting our customers' expectations to a point that it's going to infiltrate nearly all products.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. It'll come in a sort of standard assumed set of things. And I think, as we indicated, there's going to be a lot of challenges for product managers to tool up and skill up on this and really think through what the implications are of much, much more uh, data being built into the products. I also think I'm starting to see some groups setting up what they're calling product operations, which is a small group of folks who are doing all of the infrastructure work for product, mostly around analytics. And I could really see this fitting in there, which is you've got some folks Maybe one or two people out of a product team of 10 or 12 or 14 that are making sure that we're getting all the data that we need to because there's always a bunch of hassles about tools and access and what does it mean and, you know, how do we understand it? I think it may be unrealistic to have every single product manager in the team be as familiar with all the analytics tools as everybody else. Mm-hmm.
1: Where do you think is the right balance for this? You know, When we need to be savvy about the data science aspect of this, you know, like maybe it was a couple of years ago, I forget which university put out on uh, you know, one of the open platforms, one of the MOOC platforms, you could get a free education in data science, and they taught you how to use R, which is the common open source statistics package that's often used, and go through a really deep understanding and become a data scientist in a in regard, right? Is that... That sounds like a lot to take on, and I don't know if we want to become data scientists themselves. Where do you think is the right balance here?
2: I think if you're building products where this is front and center, then you really need to have a tremendous depth of experience as a product manager because you're going to be talking with customers and prospects and partners, and they're going to have lots of questions about how this stuff works and how accurate it is and all of the internal issues in the same way that if you are working on a network security product as a product manager you'd be faced with customers who are going to endlessly quiz you for hours and hours about different kinds of attacks and day zero and all the stuff that, that uh, network security folks worry about because they're the customers. Mm-hmm. I think if it's in the background, you know, there'll be some gradient here where you need to know enough to keep your product working. But maybe if it's a dating app, you know, we don't actually tell any of the end users that we're doing AI in the back. Okay.
0: Yeah, I see it as a spectrum uh, of of how technical do you need to be. And in that sense, it it does relate to what other product managers on traditional products, how technical they need to be. As a minimum, you need to understand data science well enough to have conversations, productive conversations with your data science teams. The degree to which you actually have to work with the data yourself hands-on, I think that would vary quite a bit. I think there's a place where... As long as you can have that conversation and you can answer the questions and understand some of the challenges they're having, you don't necessarily need to go, um, you don't need to try to be a mini data scientist. You can Mm -hmm. lean on your data science team and your technical team for that. But you do need to be able to understand the issues and help the team navigate those issues jointly with you.
1: Okay, good. So this really sounds like kind of relationship to domain experience, right? Does your product require you to have domain expertise for the industry, the sector you're in and how we can think of data science kind of as the same way. Is our product something that relies heavily on data science capabilities? And if so, then we probably need more knowledge. sounds like a lot of this is also building relationships with these data scientists that we have in the organization. Right. And I think it's important as
2: we build those relationships that we as product managers get a real sense of what our data scientists know and don't know, or what's surprising and outside their experience, because yeah. we're going to have a lot of interesting problems. Where you know, uh, if you were working on tax return software, and every once in a while it threw up a, a wrong answer, and somebody filed their taxes, and you know the the authorities wanted extra million dollars, right? Uh, thinking through some of the edge cases and and issues. Maybe something that the product managers have to do for the <clears throat> data scientists who may not really have thought through all the edge cases and implications right. and real-world situations.
1: Yeah, re- very good example. Great. I appreciate you both sharing a little bit of where this might be going. It's an important emerging area and one for us as product people to get our hands around. I- any closing thoughts from either of you?
0: I uh, I'll just say that I think – based on that prior conversation, the depth with what you get into it varies a bit, but I do think the time is now for almost every product manager to mm. get an introduction to data science, AI, machine learning, so that you are prepared to identify the opportunities when the time is right. If you go into it flat, it's broad enough now that if you go into it flat-footed, you're not you're going to have a hard time catching up when, you, when your product and your customers start demanding these kinds of AI-enabled capabilities.
2: Spot on. And I think waiting for your customers to demand it means you're late. Uh-huh. So as a product manager who's got to think a year or two ahead and anticipate where the markets are going, we have to be smart enough about this to engage ourselves on good discussions. Again, we're partnered with the, the data science team but they may not think of the right questions or they simply may not be engaged. So if, if I think that my product may need this in the next year or two, now's the time for me to have studied up, had some use cases, kick some data around. Let's figure out what might work because, you know, otherwise we'll be lapped by the competition.
1: Really good insights. So now is the time to start taking some action, put this on your radar, find some articles, courses, MOOCs to look into, um, and find yourself a data scientist to have some conversations with. Okay, thank you both. I really appreciate the, the information, great insights, and glad we could talk again. Thank you, Chad. Thanks, appreciate it. Thanks again for listening to The Everyday Innovator. This is where product leaders and managers make their move to product master learning practical knowledge that leads to more influence and confidence so you can create products customers love. Now we've got lots of good insights and really good tips about how we can work with data scientists and some insights too about how they're starting to impact product management work. You'll find all the summary of that discussion at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 258. Keep innovating.
0: Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit the everydayinnovator.com.